panting. What was it? What had I seen? What, what had I seen that was so strange or odd? I could come up with no satisfactory answer. A misprinted sign, a snippet of dialogue, a group of boys out enjoying the water. Had I not been drinking the night before and suffering a dehydrated brain now as a consequence, would there be anything to add drama to this random series of events? I took a deep breath, and then another one. Stood away from the door and ran a hand through my hair. I'd almost succeeded in putting myself completely at ease when I happened to glance down and notice that my hand had come away with a fistful of hair. August 31st, at work, just prior to going home. After a nightmarish evening spent deliberating over the state of my mental health, I came to work and tried vainly to maintain some small sense of normalcy. It was nearing 9.15 when Anna happened to pass my desk. Hi, Charles. How are you? She propped herself up against my section of wall and smiled. I blinked for a few moments, I think. Where have you been? I've been trying to call you all morning. I had a meeting with Mr. Purcell. Say, are you all right? Why are you wearing that toque? I can't tell you right now. Uh, look, can you meet me for lunch? Sure. The lunchroom at 12? No, no, outside. Uh, the takeout place down the block. All right. Something wrong, Charles? I'll tell you at 12. Okay. She turned to go. Anna. Yeah? What happened on... On Sunday? Yes, on Sunday. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. I woke up early and realized I was supposed to be at my parents for brunch. You were asleep and I couldn't wake you. I tried calling later, but you weren't in. I hope I didn't worry you. No, 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 of course not. Good. <laughs> lunch then? Right. She waved and left. Instantly, I was racked with conflicting feelings of embarrassment and relief. My distress and anxiety compared so unfavorably with her calm detachment that I again wondered if my analysis of the situation had been incorrect. This sentiment lingered with me as I worked on at my desk, and yet, everywhere I looked, the situation appeared more and more obvious. When I went to meet Anna for lunch, she was already waiting outside the cafe for me. She handed me a bag lunch she'd purchased. Let's walk. A nice light rain. Since Anna and I had last spoken, I had had some opportunity to think things through. And now I was determined to come straight to the point. Anna? Mm-hmm. It'll sound hard to believe, I know. But I must tell you now, as it increasingly becomes obvious to me, that there are great numbers, how many I can't say, but great numbers of our population who are turning into fish. I anticipated her objections and hurried to explain. Yes, fish, I say. Now, the mechanics of this uh, transformation, how it began, where it'll end, or indeed what sort of fish will be arrived at in the end, all this I can't tell you, but of this I'm certain. We are already in the latter stages of the process. Now, it's possible that it works differently with each individual, with some working from inside and only slowly manifesting itself on the outside later, while in others it performs in reverse, uh, displaying the physical characteristics earlier on. This, I believe, has been the case with myself, Anna. Now, I, 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 I've said we all along because I... Uh, because I, along with many others, am most certainly, slowly but irresistibly, becoming a fish. I removed my woolen cap and displayed my hair, now falling out in great patches. I had expected Anna to be shocked by all I'd said. I half expected her to express outright disbelief. She did none of these things. Instead, she looked at me sympathetically and took my hands in hers. Try... She said softly. 
look on the bright side of things, Charles. My face is uncommonly inexpressive, so I don't think it revealed the surprise which these words elicited. Fish. She continued in easy tones. Are gregarious. They have complicated social interactions. <laughs> things could be worse. Well, even you must admit that in fish we share the common heritage of our early Silurian era. And how much better looking they are than the rudimentary-legged amphibian. Scaly-skinned reptiles. Oh. In fish, we find the first beginnings of appreciation of art. Appreciation of art? Their fascination with bright objects. Marbles, tinfoil, metal lures. Oh. Here we see the simple enjoyment of things. Unencumbered by any intellectual pretense. A simplicity and rectitude of demeanor that I'm sure you, of all people, will grow to appreciate. I don't I think so. I don't like fish. I think I shall never like fish. Believe me, Charles. She breathed. Everything. Everything will be all right. Then she glanced down at her watch. Oh, I've got to go. As she walked away, I stood mesmerized, lost in thought of what she said, and entranced by the rotations her body took as she walked—a swivel or a rolling action that was almost a fish-like ripple. September twenty-second, late afternoon, my apartment. The last I saw of Anna, she was doing a slow crawl across the city reservoir. So ended the only relationship I had ever had. I like to believe that the evening we spent together was triggered by mutual admiration, but looking back, I begin to see she must have been transforming inside for some time already, and might only have been reacting to a spawning instinct provoked by the sound of rushing water in Mr. Purcell's fountain. So it is everywhere. We are all, all turning into fish. In the city itself, there is remarkably little in the way of chaos. There has been some scavenging and pilfering at the pet food stores as people begin packing box lunches for themselves, so to speak, from the fish food stocks on the shelves. Those of us who are left keep the lights on at night. It's friendlier that way. So the city shimmers and twinkles in the rain every evening as each of us, in our own solitary way, turns into a fish. And fish aren't so very bad when you think about it. Anyone who's tried angling can't deny their innate intelligence, nor can anyone who has seen them struggle upstream to spawn deny their courage. What used to appear to me to be the cruel, toothy maw of a salmon now seems a friendly, wholesome grin. The habit of devouring their young, which at one time horrified me, seen in another light, merely allows the best and the brightest to excel without having to pander to that great leveler, mediocrity. It is, I suppose, not unlike a very strict private school. Indeed, I believe it may be, as a young man put it to me the other day, when down at the dam watching the migrations. It won't be so very difficult jumping in when the time comes, he said. <laughs> I suppose not. <clears throat> Back, feeling a little numb. Things not going swimmingly. Work got you blue about the gills. Don't fight it. Take the leap into that river, streaming towards the vanishing point. The last thirty days of Charles L. Danforth by Clem Martini, with Stephen Hare as Charles and Marianne Moroni as Anna and the nurse. You also heard Norris Bick, Eric Tully, and Clem Martini.
Technical operations were by Al Lambden and Norm Hurley, with sound effects by Uta Schaffland, and the production assistant was Elaine Farner. Original music was by Lorna McLaughlin. The series script editor is Sandra Rabinovich. The musical theme is by John Roby. And the voice of Vanishing Point is David Calderisi. The last 30 days of Charles L. Danforth was produced at CBC Calgary by Greg Rogers. The executive producer of Vanishing Point is William Lane. Until next week, I'm Lorna Jackson, wishing you good night. This is a gramophone. Before the days of metric, it was called an ounceophone. This is a microphone. Before the days of chip technology, it was called a macrophone. Excuse me, I have to get the phoneme.